The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Really glad you're with us today. And, you know, as we, as we continue, before we get into uh, spending time in the Word together, I know we're going to make the announcement at the end, but, but I'd like to go ahead and, and just say something else about it right now. And that's tonight we're going to have a prayer service, a church-wide prayer service, inviting our Arlington campus to come and join the Bartlett campus. And we're going to spend some time praying about this Advent season. And the reason we're doing that is, you know, you think about Advent, you think about it's a time where people are coming back to church, right? They're coming for Christmas and they're they're coming in our doors on Christmas Eve and all these different all these different opportunities for them to be here. And you know, uh, we understand and we believe uh, that the scriptures are true. What Jesus has taught us is true. And so when he says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. You know, when we think about those words, then we start to think about this opportunity of these different people that might be coming through our doors. And what we want to do is we want to come together as a church and we want to ask God to do something we cannot do. We want to ask God to, to change lives. We want to ask God to bring dead people back to life. We want to ask God to bring healing in relationships and in, and, and in all kinds of situations that we can't even begin to touch. And so we want to see God do something incredible here this Advent season. I mean, come on, amen, right? Do you guys agree with me? You want to see God do something incredible? Then we're going to ask and we're going to seek and we're going to knock tonight and we're going to ask God to do something that only he can do. That's what we're praying for tonight and so I really encourage you to be here we'll have child care for for five years old and younger and this service I, I don't know if you've ever been to a prayer service before maybe you're thinking that we're just going to sit here and be quiet for a solid hour and that is not how that works we will sing together we'll read scripture together we will pray together we'll, we'll we have all kinds of different elements I think you'll you'll enjoy it and don't be afraid you say well I've got kids that are over five don't be afraid to bring them and for them to participate um, the Lord's going to bless our time tonight so please Please, please, please be here. So it's Advent season. This is week two of Advent, and we've been talking about unexpected. That is our, that's our theme we've been going through. And, and so last week, we, we kind of talked about the overarching idea of this series. If you look at Matthew chapter one, it doesn't start with all of a sudden Mary was pregnant and here's, a, here's baby Jesus. It starts with a genealogy. It starts with tracing back uh, through the family line of Jesus. Where does he come from? What does that family look like? And if you look at that family, it is not who you would put in God. God's family, right? That is not the, the lineup you would have. And yet this is the lineup filled with all kinds of surprising and unexpected people. And today we're going to look at one of those in particular. But before we do, when I think about the unexpected, the unexpected can be, uh, it can be really scary. It can be terrible, right? When you get that unexpected uh, sound coming from your engine while you're driving, you get that unexpected flat tire, that's a, that's a bad unexpected. Or, or, or maybe you're in a relationship and all of a sudden out of nowhere your sugar booger breaks up with you. That is not a good unexpected. But sometimes the unexpected can be delightful. And what it makes me think of is it makes me think of like movies. I'm, I'm a big movie guy. I love to watch movies. And, and, uh, and, and, 
in that, when they can really catch me off guard, when I don't see it coming, when there's a plot twist that I don't see coming, that is just a, that's a delightful moment for me in a movie. And, and so, for example, um, by the way, this is a spoiler alert, but I don't think it really is because the movie's been out 17 years. And if you haven't made time to go see this movie in 17 years, that's on you. But in the movie, uh, The Sixth Sense, you know, and Bruce Willis, a little kid, I see dead people. And it turns out at the end that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Like at that moment, I remember watching that and, and it caught me completely off guard. Now, of course, what do you do in those moments when you see those movies? You turn to the person next to you and you go, oh, yeah, 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 I saw that. Yeah, 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 I saw that after the thing earlier when he was at the thing or whatever. And of course I did that, but that was a lie. Like it completely caught me off guard and I loved it. I loved to, that surprise was incredible to me. I watched this documentary about Star Wars recently. Just in case you've ever questioned how nerdy I am, let me repeat that, that uh, sentence. I watched a documentary about Star Wars, and it was specifically about the actor who played Darth Vader. And if you don't know this, the actor who played Darth Vader, obviously that is not his voice that you're hearing. It was dubbed over, and he didn't know that. He didn't know that it was going to happen like that until they ultimately ended up doing that in the first movie. And at the end, you know, if, if you've seen the, the original Star Wars, you've seen the original trilogy, um, you get to see Darth Vader face at one point. He was told that that was going to be him. He didn't know they weren't going to use his face, and they actually filmed that scene when he wasn't there. So there's a lot he was kept in the dark about. But you know, one of the things that I learned in that documentary I thought was incredible was in the uh, uh, in the, the second movie, in the, the fifth episode, um, when the Empire Strikes Back, that's that that's that scene where you have Luke finding out who his dad is, right? That's, that's that scene with that really famous line, no, I am your father. Maybe you say, Luke, I am your father. Well, you are wrong. Let me just go ahead and underline what a nerd I am. This actually, no, I am your father. But anyway, that really, really famous scene, here's the thing. It was, it was like an incredible secret. So the guy who played Vader, he would say the lines so, so that they could obviously like act out the scene. So he's saying the lines. And in his lines, he says that, no, I killed your father. He didn't know. The way the actor found out that he was actually Luke's dad was he went to the movie theater. And he saw it with everybody else. James Earl Jones, who recorded the voice, he didn't know the actors didn't know. He was just told not to tell anybody. So the actors didn't know. That's how Mark Hamill found out. That's how Luke found out that that was the storyline. He went to the premiere and he went, huh, like that is crazy. What an incredibly like well-kept secret. And so sometimes, sometimes the unexpected, that is a, that's a delight. And today we're talking about something that is absolutely a delight. And unexpected, that's a delight. And so the, our title today is The Unexpected Solution. And so if you look in Matthew chapter 1, if we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus, if you look in verse 5, you see a name there that's very surprising. And that's Rahab. That's Rahab. Now, I want to tell you her story. And if you have a Bible, we're going to look at part of her story. It's in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn to Joshua chapter 2. Or if you want to follow along um, on uh, uh, you want to follow along in, on a smartphone or something like that, we will absolutely think you're texting. But that's okay. And uh, you can do that as well. Uh, there might be some Bibles under your seat. Joshua chapter 2, that's in the Old Testament. Uh, there's table of contents in the front, Joshua chapter 2. But let me kind of catch you up. Let me kind of catch you up and kind of tell you this story. So 
God has promised Israel, he, he delivers them from Egypt. Maybe, maybe you know that story, the whole crossing the Red Sea thing, right? Moses is leading them through the wilderness. And God says, all right, guys, it's time. There's the promised land. I want you to go take it. So Moses sends 12 spies uh, to go look at the land. And the 12 spies come back. And there are, they say there are giants there. Apparently, these people are a lot bigger than them. They said there are giants there. This, this land is great, but, but 10 of them of the 12 said, we can't do this. Like, we will get killed. They will, like, they will eat us. All right, like we cannot do this. The people of Israel hear this, they despair as well. And they say, you know what? We should just go be, we should just go be slaves again in Egypt. At least there the giants wouldn't eat us, right? And so they are just despairing. Two of the spies are like, God, you're crazy. We gotta go. Like God gave them to us. Who cares if they're giants? I don't care if they're three giants stacked on top of each other with a big trench coat. It doesn't matter. Like, let's go get them. And so God says, you know what? Fine. You doubt me. Then, then you guys will never see the promised land. And so immediately there's some people who die, but the, the entire generation of people, an entire generation of people had to die out before God would allow his people to take the land. And ultimately even Moses disobeyed the Lord at one point and wasn't allowed to go in. But now Joshua's in charge. Good news, right? So he sends in two spies to go check out the promised land. He's like, all right, guys, he gets all of Israel together. We're gonna go get it. Just in a few days, we're gonna be over there, the land of milk and honey, that's gonna be ours. I'm gonna send these two spies in. You start to think, why did he send two? Well, maybe because the first time he sent 12, only two of them had a good report. And so he's like, I'm not gonna do that again. Let's just get two and just hope for the same result. So they send those two in and he says, specifically, I want you to go check out Jericho. Now, Jericho, you're thinking about the promised land. Maybe you've heard that name before. Jericho, if, you, if you've ever heard Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, walking around the wall, shouting to God and letting the walls fall down. So they go into this incredibly fortified city and he says, I want you two to go check this out and just kind of gather some information around. And it's not an easy thing to sneak into such a fortified city. And so as they were trying to be as inconspicuous as possible, and so one of the things they did to try to make sure, hey, let's not get caught. What can two foreigners do in a city or go? Where can they go in a city to not look like they're standing out? So they go to a prostitute's house because that's... That makes sense, right? A prostitute probably had a lot of different people coming in and out of the house. And so they thought, we'll just, we'll, we'll be in here and no one will think anything. Well, the thing they don't know is that everybody in the city is terrified. They know that Israel's out there and they know all of the incredible things God has done for them and they're terrified. So they're on the lookout. Remember, Israel is a race in and of itself. And so they're looking for anybody who's Jewish. They're looking for the Israelites. And so I'm sure somebody, maybe somebody's saw these two men go into Rahab's house. Maybe someone in Rahab's household saw them and said, I'm not gonna die on behalf of these two guys. And they go and they tell on them and they're found out. And so their hiding didn't work. And ultimately now they've got soldiers coming to them. So they, what's their plan? How can they get out of this? What are, what's their escape plan? Well, they have two choices. They can either go out the front door and die, right? Because now everybody knows they're there. And so as they, if they go out there, someone's gonna try to grab them. The soldiers are coming for them. So that's not an option. Well, the good news is this particular place that they went in, it's on the wall. So they'll just go out the window, right? You'll die. It's a really, really tall wall, okay? So you can either go out the window and die or go through the front door and die. How would you like to die today? And so what is the solution? They have a huge problem. There is no 
solution. What is their solution? They've got Rahab there. Is Rahab going to help them? She is a, she's a pagan woman. She's a prostitute. She, uh, uh, she would be committing treason to try to help them. Why in the world would she do that? There are no solutions for them. But then before the soldiers show up, Rahab does help them and she hides them. She hides him up on the roof and she has his flax out and she lays it down over them. And then this is what she says to them in Joshua 2 verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before, before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan, the Sion and Og, whom you dev, who you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you'll save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. All of a sudden, this woman This pagan woman named after a pagan God, Ra, the sun God, says, you know what? I believe that your God is the God. Out of this whole city of people, I believe believe that your God is the God, more powerful than my God. I mean, think about that. She's named after him. They believe that he was the, the master of the sky, the earth, and the underworld. So she's placing a pretty big bet here against what she's always believed. But she says, I believe your God is the God. I will help you. I'll protect you. But please protect me and my family. I know the, I know the Lord has given you this city, and you will take it. And I believe that. Please protect us. And so they make a deal with her, and they, and they tell her, look, we want you to hang this, this scarlet rope outside your window and, and get all of your family here. When we come and take this city, if, if all of your family is inside, they will be protected. And if they're not, may their deaths be on us. But they will be. If they go outside, that's on them. But get them all in here. So they, the, she lowers a rope out the window. They sneak out. They go and hide in the hill country. She tells them to hide there for a few days so that the king's men would stop looking for them. And then they go back and tell, uh, tell the good news. They hide. And, and of course, what happens is they ultimately do take this city and Rahab and her family is spared and Rahab ultimately marries a prince in the family of Judah, a very important family and now she's in the lineage of Jesus. What an incredibly unexpected solution God brought to these men in a very desperate place and I think Rahab is a picture of an unexpected savior. If they're thinking, how am I going to get out of this? If they say, you need a savior to get out of this, what are they probably thinking? We need a soldier. We need some Rambo-esque figure to just scale this wall and like just, and just come in and take everybody out. And instead, they get this pagan prostitute who is now believing and trusting in Yahweh. What an unexpected savior. And you know, the solution of Rahab, this unexpected savior, is a picture of the unexpected savior that is Jesus. I mean, think about it. They are completely helpless, these spies are, and God provides this savior out of nowhere, something they had no control over, God provides this savior. And think about it for us. We were dead in our sins, in our trespasses, and Christ came for us. He rescued us. That's what it says in Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. This is a picture. No wonder she's in the lineage of Jesus. This is a picture of what he does for 
us. And that's the message of God here in Rahab, here on, on, on uh, this Advent season. Our God is the God of unexpected solutions. That's what he does. He is a God of unexpected solutions. And it starts with our salvation. Again, what an incredibly like ridiculous out there solution that Philippians 2 says that the king of the universe would step out of heaven, put on our flesh and become sin for us so that he would die for us and he would humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. What an unbelievable, I could never see that coming. What an unexpected solution for us, but it doesn't stop there. Not only has he made an unexpected solution for us in salvation, he's made an unexpected solution for us every day. That's what he does. Romans 8, 28 says that, that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to our purpose. That means God is always working solutions for us. He's always working solutions for us. And maybe you need a solution. Maybe just like those spies, you're sitting there and all you see is death this way and death that way. You don't see a solution anywhere in sight. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel helpless. Well, I want to encourage you to trust the Lord today. And so we're going to look more at the characteristics of these unexpected solutions that God brings us uh, today. And the first is this. God works, we wait. God works and we wait. We are terrible at waiting. I was speaking to the, uh, the women's ministry event the other night, Holly and Ivy, and uh, one of the things I, I told them about, about being terrible at waiting is that uh, every time uh, we get, we have old electronics, that becomes our children's electronics. I mean, maybe you're the same way. Maybe maybe you even grew up that way. Your parents were always giving you their hand-me-down whatever. Um, and so that, that's what happens with our kids. Like any old cell phones or whatever that we don't end up selling, that's our kids. And so we, uh, when we got iPads a couple years ago, our old iPads, those became our kids' iPads. And you know what Apple does? Apple's a really brilliant company. They make incredible products. And they also know how to keep updating their software in such a way that it makes your old products not work anymore. And so my, my kids have these, these iPads that are literally older than them at this point, and, uh, and they'll try to do something on it. And it takes a second because it's got a new operating system that it really can't handle. And so it'll take a second. And, and almost without doubt, every time it takes just a, a half second too long, they always just, here, it's broken. Give me yours. Like that's, that's just, it's immediate. Here, it's broken. Give me yours. And I'm like, no, give it. Would you give it? a second, right? And I understand they don't have that perspective. They've been alive like two minutes. So like for them to give it a second, like that's a quarter of my life. And so anyway, like there's that immediate thought. And you know what? Like I really can't make fun of them for that because I do the exact same thing. And, and if, if you're with me on this, just please just, just give me an amen. I need to know because what I do is I'll be on my computer at home and, and all of a sudden like a page won't load and I'll click refresh and it won't load and I'll click refresh and it won't load. And I'll be like, well, the internet's down. And I just, and I run upstairs to the router and I'm just like looking at it. And I'm like, I don't know what these lights mean. And, and I'm immediately upset. And then I come downstairs and it loaded. If I just given it a second, if the signal had to go to outer space and come back, if I could just relax for a minute and and just wait for a second. And so like, I, I'm the same way. We don't like to wait. And we don't like to wait for multiple reasons. But I think one of the reasons I don't like to wait is I don't want to waste my time. And I feel like while I'm waiting, nothing's happening. I mean, it's the reason why we hate to be at the DMV. Why? Because you're waiting and there's no progress being made. Or like if you go to Walmart and you stand in line, uh, let me see, what time of day would this be accurate? Any time if you go to Walmart, 
any time and you're standing in line, you're thinking, this is not going to get better. I'm wasting time sitting here. And you know what? Sometimes you might, right now, you might be desperate for a solution and God is making you wait. And so you're sitting there going, well, nothing's happening. It's not getting better. That's not true. When we wait, God's at work. God is always at work. Proverbs 16, 4 says, the Lord works out everything to its proper end. That means that God never takes his hands off of our lives. He never takes his hands off of situations and then comes back and visits it when he's got to fix out the solution. God is always at work, working everything to their proper end. And while the two spies waited, they had no idea, but God was already at work in Rahab. When you look there at verse 10, God had spread his fame through those people already. They didn't know that. They didn't know that because they come back to, uh, they come back to Joshua and they say, God has given us this land. They're terrified of us. They didn't know that going in. But here in verse 10, she says, look, our hearts melt in front of you. All right, we are terrified of you. God was already working that fear into those people for them. And God had, he, he had already been working in Rahab. I mean, look at verse 11. Think about it. She is named after Ra. She is named after this pagan God. And she has given her life in that service, potentially even serving as a prostitute for Ra. And, and this is what she says in verse 11. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Listen, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is a, this pagan woman is, is proclaiming that truth. She says, I believe that Yahweh is the God above. No, no, Ra's the sun God and he's the God of sky and he's the God of, no, no, no. She's saying, no, no, no. I believe that Yahweh is the God of all things and I believe that, that nothing will stand in his way. We fall, these walls, these city walls that no one could even imagine would ever fall that I've literally grown up looking at, hearing stories and I've, I've seen just armies repelled. No one can even try. I believe that your God, Yahweh, that I've only heard of, I believe that your God will topple this city. I believe in his power. That's incredible. They're sitting there going, well, we're gonna die. If we go this way, we're gonna die. If we go that way, we're gonna die. God was already working out the solution. He was already working in Rahab's heart. It didn't just hit her in that moment. She's been thinking about it. She knew this was coming. When she saw those men come through her door, she said, okay, God, this is you at work. I'm gonna help them however I can. That's incredible. While we wait, God is at work. I mean, look at Christmas. So we all know the story, right? Jesus is born, he's a baby, wow, right? And we got the shepherds, okay. What about eight days later? They take him to the temple, they're offering that sacrifice, they're giving uh, their, their firstborn in dedication to the Lord. And Luke 2 says there's this man there, Simeon. And Simeon, it says, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the rescuer to come. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for, he's waiting for the Messiah. Well, guess what? His father waited. And died waiting. His grandfather waited and died waiting. His great-grandfather waited and died waiting. All these generations for over 500 years have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And Simeon is here waiting for this. And look at what he says. It's right here in Luke 2, 28. Look at what he says when he finally holds Jesus in his arms. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What is Simeon saying? God was at work the whole time. 
Here it is. Here's the proof of that. Here he is. He's right here in my arms. God was at work the entire time. He hasn't forgotten us. We waited and my father waited and my grandfather waited and my great-grandfather waited. Generation after generation have waited and I have waited and here he is. Here he is. God was at work the whole time. I went to, a, uh, I went to a, a ministry called Downline Ministry. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a disciple-making ministry. And I went and just, I spent one night there. there there's uh, somebody that's, that's in this process, a nine-month kind of class thing. It's a, it's a really great program. He asked me to come, and I spent one night there. And this guy's talking about disciple-making. And as he's talking about disciple-making, um, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, yeah, there are people I disciple. And then, like, the more I sat there and listened, I said, Lord, is, is, like, you want me to disciple somebody else? And then I, I just couldn't think of anybody. And then I said, okay, well, whatever. You're going to have to send me somebody then. And so then the next night, I'm in prayer meeting. We come out of prayer meeting, and there's a guy standing in the lobby. This guy I hadn't seen in like two years. He came to one Bible study that I did with the students like a couple years ago. One. And then he's just standing there, and he goes, hey, I need to talk to you. And I went, okay, what's up? And he goes, look. Uh, I don't know what to say other than God's really changed my life and I need to know the Bible better. Will you help me? And then I was like, there's a great church like right up the street and they've got a great program. No, I was like, yeah, of course. Are you kidding me? And so, so I went to this, I went to this, this talk that, that I tried to go to before and, and it just never worked out. But I end up going to this talk and the Lord tells me, I want you to do something. I go, fine, you have to bring somebody. I don't have the solution. I don't know who it is. And then the next night, here walks in this guy. Well, here's the thing. The Lord had been working on him and he needed a solution. He needed somebody to, to, to invest in him and disciple him. And then God sends me the night before to the, do you see it? He was waiting, I was waiting, and God was at work the whole time. He didn't waste a single minute. Even while we're waiting, God is at work. And I was trying to think of an encouraging word, and I shared this with, uh, with our women the other night. I was trying to think of an encouraging word from somebody who knows something about waiting. And it was, it's King David. Because you think about it. King David was anointed king. You know how long it took him from being anointed king to becoming king? 45 days? No, do you know how long it took? 15 years. So he's anointed the rightful king of Israel. God says, you know what? Saul has disobeyed me. His heart is far from me. I'm taking the kingdom away from him and I'm giving it to you. And it took him 15 years to do it. And the entire time, you know what David's doing? Just living it up, having a great 15 years. Do you know, no. Do you know what he's doing? Saul's trying to kill him. Over and over again, Saul's trying to kill him. And, and eventually David runs for his life. He ends up running for his life and living in the wilderness and living in caves, trying to get away from crazy old Saul. He knows something about waiting. God, you have the solution for me. I can see it, but it's not here yet. And here's what he says in Psalm 27. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He's saying, I know something about waiting. I know, like, I knew God's plan for my life. I was anointed to be king, and this king was trying to kill me for 15 years. I know something about waiting, but let me tell you this. You wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Don't scheme. Don't worry. Just wait for the Lord. Well, what the heck do we do while we're waiting? Let's go back to Simeon. Remember, he's waiting for the Messiah. What's he doing? Before Jesus shows up and he gets to hold that baby, what's he doing? He's worshiping. That's what we do in the wait, worship in the waiting. You're waiting on God to do something in your finances. You're waiting on him to fix a relationship or give you an opportunity at work or change this situation or change that. Wait for him. 
Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to do it by your own strength. Wait for him. But in the meantime, let's worship in the waiting. Trust that he's working. Don't scheme. Don't worry. Don't complain. But worship him in the waiting. The second thing about the characteristic of these uh, unexpected solutions is that we couldn't dream of these solutions. We couldn't dream of them. Think about it. What was the solution for the spies? This pagan prostitute comes to faith and trusts Yahweh. What? Right? Like that's the solution, right? Like they couldn't even dream that that was a possibility. They're probably thinking in their mind, is there a way we could sneak out? Could we put on some different clothes and kind of sneak out? Is there a way to scale this wall all the way down? God, we have no idea how to get out of it. And God says, I know I've already been at work providing this solution for you while you've been waiting for it. And here it is. They couldn't even dream that this would happen this way. Much less, could you imagine if, if they had known, like God had said to them, okay, you see this, this prostitute right here, this pagan prostitute, she's actually going to help you and then uh, I'm going to put her in the lineage of the Messiah. Is that cool with you? They couldn't even dream that this would be God's solution. And this is God's creative power on display. You think about it. There is nothing that limits God's creative power to bring us solutions. You look back at Genesis 1. What do we see? What does God make everything out of? What does he need? What does he use? What's the first resource? Himself. He needs nothing. He just makes solutions. He makes everything out of nothing. That is his creative power. When you see in the beginning when the, uh, when the Adam and Eve sin, they need a solution. They need a solution. They need someone to save them. They don't even know how to do it. And immediately he says, I'm going to send a descendant for you, from you, who is going to crush the serpent's head. He's talking about Jesus. Immediately God creates a solution out of nothing. And you think about it. This is what God does. I don't have to worry. I can't see the solution. I don't know where it's going to come from. Our God creates something out of nothing. And that includes solutions. When there were millions of Israelites in the desert and they're going, Moses, we're so thirsty. We're going to die. God has a solution they couldn't dream of. He makes water come out of a rock. They say, we're so hungry. We're just going to die. God sends something that to this day, we don't even know what it is. They name it, we don't know what it is. That's what they name it, manna, we don't know what it is. God just sends them something that we can't even begin to dream of. That's what our God does. Why would we worry? Why would we be afraid? I don't care, you put any obstacle in front of me. Yeah, I don't know the solution, but I have a God with infinite creative power. He creates not something out of nothing. So don't worry, there's no need to be. Because those who trust in the Lord won't be put to shame. If you trust in the one who creates something out of nothing, you will not be put to shame. You have a financial crisis? Well, I, I, don't, I don't have a job. It's not gonna, I don't see a job on the horizon. I don't know how this money's gonna happen. I don't have family that can provide for this. I, I, I just don't know. God creates something out of nothing. He doesn't need your resources. He'll meet your needs. With this relationship, they won't even talk to me and, and they hate me and they, they block my phone number. It doesn't matter. God doesn't need an in. He doesn't need their number. God creates solutions out of nothing. That's his infinite creative power. And you look at Psalm 146, five through six, listen to this. But joyful, not worried, not anxious, not upset. Joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Listen. Why? Because he made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. Why should we be joyful according to the scripture? Because the Lord made heaven and earth and he keeps his promises. 
And he's promised to provide for us. He's promised to take care of us. He's promised to work all these things for our good. And you know what backs up the promises? His infinite creative power. So you say, I can't possibly see how in the world he's going to fix this problem in my life. I can't possibly see how in the world he can make this work for my good. It doesn't matter. You can't dream of it. It doesn't matter. We serve a God of infinite creative power. Why in the world would we worry? Instead, Psalm 146, but joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper. Why? Because he has infinite creative power. He creates something out of nothing. We have nothing to fear. The third thing about these unexpected solutions is God's solutions are perfect. You think about those two spies. If they had gone anywhere else, what would have happened to them? would have died. I mean, think about it. Ultimately, when, the, when Israel takes Jericho and they, and they, they take the promised land, um, who else is saved in that city? No one. What does that mean? No one else in that city believed. No one else in that city trusts God. And so they went to the perfect place, the perfect house, the perfect person. God had it just for them. And his, his solutions are always perfect. Not always what I want, but always perfect. There are times where I have begged God, begged God to heal somebody. I have begged God to save somebody and then end up burying them anyway. And you just think and your heart breaks and you go, God, this, this is your perfect solution? Yeah. How can you even say that, Grant? That, that's, so, that's so callous, so cold. No, it's not. God's solutions are perfect. If I trust him, I won't be put to shame. And when I think about the people that I buried, they're in paradise with the father. Why don't I ask them if it was a perfect solution? And then to think that what God does in my own life, where he comforts me with a comfort that I've never seen before so that I can comfort others in their time of distress. Yeah, it's pretty good. God's solutions are perfect. You say, how in the world? Still, how in the world can you say this? Look at Jesus in the garden. Before he's about to be betrayed, what does he say to God? What does he say in Matthew 26, 39? My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is saying, I don't want this solution. I want something else. If it's possible at all, can you do something else? I don't want this solution. But what does he ultimately say? Your solutions are perfect. And so not what I want, but what you want. And now Jesus is the name above every name. Yeah, it's a perfect solution. It's not always our first choice, but it's perfect if we trust the Lord. And we think, why don't I always get that perfect solution? I got a solution, but it's really flawed. There's a lot of consequences in it. Is it really, and the the question I would ask you, is it really God's solution or yours? Because the Lord will let us make up our own solutions. If we want to go our own way, he will let us go our own way. And so you think about it. You think about David. Um, There's a moment where David had the opportunity to kill Saul. He could have ended that 15-year period many years earlier. He could have killed Saul. He had Saul dead to rights, snuck up behind him, cut off part of his garment. He could have taken him out then. And the Lord would have given him the kingdom. And what would have happened? It wouldn't have been perfect. There would have been just just heapings and heapings of consequences on him. Why? Because he didn't do it God's way. But God would have let him do it. And you say, how do you know that? Well, Later in David's life, he does that. David makes a huge mistake, gets this woman pregnant, and that, that's someone else's wife. And instead of trying to repent and handle it God's way, what does he do? I got a solution. I'll have the guy killed. 
That's ultimately what he does. And what happens? David's family falls apart. It falls apart. The kingdom is wrecked. God let him do it his own way. But you know, David said in Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds this house, they labor in vain. Do you know what that means? Unless the solution you're pursuing is the Lord's, your solution is worthless. It's absolutely worthless. No, no, no. I have a degree in this and I strategize and I'm really smart and I got all this data together and all this other stuff. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord gives you that solution, it is worthless. It's absolutely worthless. And to get these perfect solutions, that means that we have to display sometimes some really crazy faith. That means that sometimes we have to choose to be honest and we have to choose integrity and, and it will ultimately, and it looks like it's going to cost us that promotion to do so. And sometimes we have to turn the other cheek even though someone's slandering us and talking trash about us and making us look really bad. But we have to trust God and say, okay, I'll turn the other cheek and I'll forgive them. And sometimes you have to look at your bank account and, you, and instead of being afraid, you have to be prayerful and generous anyway. And sometimes you have to be patient and instead of scheming, you have to wait for the opportunity that you want so bad. And if we wait on God, listen to me, if we wait on God who makes solutions out of nothing, we will get the perfect solution. If we wait on God, we don't try to do it our own way by our own strength. If we wait on God, the one who makes something out of nothing, then we will get the perfect solution. So you know, in conclusion, I'm so happy Rahab's in the family line of Jesus because I love this picture because it's such, a, it's such a reminder to us that we serve a God of unexpected solutions. We serve a God who is infinitely creatively powerful and can create solutions out of nothing. He doesn't need resources. He doesn't need opportunities. He makes something out of nothing. And these solutions he makes out of nothing are perfect. Things we couldn't even dream about. They're perfect. Let me pray for us. You know, as, as we pray, as you bow your head and close your eyes, I, I'm going to ask, do you need a solution today? As soon as we started talking, as soon as I said that, immediately in your mind, you knew what I was talking about. And I don't know, but you know. Do you need a solution today? I want to encourage you, don't worry. Worship. Trust. Remind yourself of his creative power he makes something out of nothing this mountain in front of you the scriptures say in psalm 97 it melts in front of him know that he has a solution and it's perfect trust his strength lord as we respond together in worship this morning um, lord we want to trust you even more than when we sang the first song today god may our trust and our faith in you grow and grow and grow as you continually remind our hearts of your creative power, that you're a God who keeps promises and isn't limited. And that if we wait on you, we will get the perfect solution. If we wait on you, we won't be fools. So God, my prayer for my brothers and sisters in this room, if, if, they, if they're waiting on that solution, that I pray God they would wait. Um, you give them endurance to wait on you, to not trust their strength, but trust yours. And that, God, you'd encourage them with the understanding and the, the, the truth, the groundbreaking, um, just foundation-shaking truth that you create solutions out of nothing. 
we can scheme all day, we can dream all day, we can talk all day and strategize all day. But ultimately, God, you can make solutions we can't even begin to dream of. So God, may that just fill us with a, a confidence in your power. And may we trust you more. Live lives of peace, a strange peace, a holy peace, a godly peace. Because we know who you are. You're a God who keeps his promises. You're a God of infinite creative power. What do we have to fear? Nothing. Deeply loved. Incredibly favored. By the one who made everything. By the one that everything bows down to. We have nothing to fear any longer. Help us be courageous to wait on you, to trust you. You're so good to us. God, if you've brought someone to their knees this morning, they recognize they haven't been living for you, they've been living for themselves. And they want to make a change this morning. Give them the courage to do it. Say right now in the quietness of their heart and mind, I don't want to do it my way anymore. God, forgive me. Change me. Make me yours. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again. Come into my life. Save me. Do a great work. Thank you for hearing us this morning, Jesus. Help us respond in a way that honors you. It's in your name. Amen.